It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN in association with Betfred Wildcard Weekend, which means only one thing, our Wildcard Weekend preview. Actually, I stand corrected, gang. It is Super Wildcard Weekend, of course, which means we are doubling down. Tom Deacon back in the house in a little bit, helping us get set for some of the big games this weekend. We're going to kick things off, though, with ESPN insider Jeremy Fowler. Talk about some of the big matchups with him, but also some of the big stories around the NFL, including the new GM in Houston, the coaching carousel, who might land where, all the inside stories. Coming up first with Jeremy Fowler. Jeremy, great to see you again. Happy, happy new year. Uh, a lot of stuff I want to get into. We're going to look at a couple of the wildcard games, but some news I want to talk to you about, first of all. I'll start kind of joining the, the two uh, right off the bat and the Cleveland situation, the COVID situation there, because obviously it's a significant disadvantage with, with Stefanski out. Um, but is there any danger that if there are any more COVID positive tests that the game will get moved? With you. And yeah, there's always the danger of that. They're monitoring that daily. So yesterday their test results were good. No new positives. And then today they're hoping for the same. So uh, as far as I've been told, there's there's no expectation of an outbreak right now. Uh, but unfortunately, you had, you know, four or five people come down with a positive, including the head coach and, and Joel Batonio, who's a Pro Bowl guard who was among those those losing Browns teams that were winning zero or one games during the year. He's kind of like a sentimental part. Uh, of the team now because he finally made the playoffs. So he's out. Um, so it's, it's, it's a difficult situation for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in 18 years. And this is their moment to shine. Uh, and, and they're going to have their head coach really just watching from home helpless. I mean, he cannot be involved in the game plan. Once it starts, he can only do things leading up to the game from home. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk about, we'll break down the game in a bit. Uh, that is interesting to, to see and to monitor. Another big story coming out this week, of course, is the, the new GM of the Texans, Nick Casario. Six-year deal, uh, which makes him one of the top three paid general managers in the league. Are you joining the dots with the Deshaun Watson 
uh, tweet that went out saying some things never change. Uh, some people, conspiracy theorists, are putting those two things together. I mean, surely they can't be connected, right? Because Syria is an incredible heritage. He's been involved in the Patriots and, and their success for so long. I mean, it, it surely can only be viewed as a positive, right? Well, you would think so. I'm trying to kind of find out what that cryptic tweet means. Uh, mm -hmm. There is some connection to uh, Jack Easterby, uh, who is an official with the team who, you know, is like a former, uh, it was in a former pastoral role in college, worked his way up through the Patriots as kind of like a do-it-all uh, specialist, but never was really like a personnel uh, general manager type. And, and then he got to Houston and, and has had a lot of influence. Uh, and there have been some reports that maybe some of that influence was not so positive. And so I think um, with with Casario coming on, it's, it has nothing to do with his pedigree. Uh, it's a very good hire for them. Uh, mm. But if that does align him with Jack Easterby and that Easterby essentially won uh, the power struggle in that building, that could be what he's referring to. Um, I have not confirmed that, though. But, you know, there there's been some turmoil there as a result of, of Easterby's presence. And that's hard to deny. So. Uh, it, it could be some, some factors in play there. But, you know, Deshaun Watson's under contract mm. on one of the biggest deals in the NFL for a long time. Uh, and so, you know, they, they're going to make it work with him and make him happy. Yeah, that I mean, that, that is interesting because you'd imagine he's not going anywhere. But, I mean, if if this story does develop and it's clear that, that things are not uh, as they should be, it's, in terms of power struggles, I mean, Watson would win that every time, right? Even against someone like Easterby, wouldn't it? They'd always back him if it, if it came to it. Came to it. Certainly. Uh, but it, it's sometimes the player only has so much of an influence, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's different in the NFL where, uh, yeah, I guess he could request a trade if it really got to that, but nobody mm -hmm. really thinks Deshaun Watson wants to do that. I think he right. wants to make it work in Houston, but it's not like in, uh, in Houston with James Harden and the NBA where you can kind of muscle your way into a trade and it's probably going to happen. It's just, it's mm -hmm. a little different, uh, with the NFL, you know, franchise quarterbacks typically stay where they are. Um, yeah. You know, that 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 said, uh, I think Casario, with his pedigree, will be a very good influence in that building, especially to get the right coach. I, I don't get the sense that uh, Eric Bieniemy is, is headed to Houston right now, you know, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. And that was really the dot that a lot of people were connecting around the league. They thought he would be a favorite in Houston. Mm -hmm. And I think Watson wanted that. Uh, so that's a factor here as well. Maybe he's not getting his guy. Yeah, well, speaking of franchise quarterbacks, looks like the Finns are, are sticking with Tua. That's the official line. In case that was in any doubt, I mean, you had this ridiculous overreaction to the, the Week 17 loss and, and a bad performance from, from Tua in difficult circumstances. But the Dolphins are saying, yeah, he's our guy going forwards, but he's going to have a new offensive coordinator to, to work with. Chan Gailey has gone after just a year, resigned. Jeremy, did he jump before he was pushed? Is that the, is that the general perspective? think so there could have been a, a mutual parting um i think if it went really well he wouldn't have resigned but he also came on you know he's older he's in his 60s i mean there is uh, a feeling that, uh, that this could be a one-year experiment and just see how it goes this wasn't necessarily viewed as a long-term thing um it was viewed as gailey's a guy that coach brian flores really respected uh wanted to try it out he thought it'd be good for whether it's ryan fitzpatrick or a young quarterback and, and it largely did work despite the end of the year struggles um and, you know, their quarterback picture is fascinating because it was an overreaction to say they're moving on from two. I don't think they are. But you have a third pick in the draft in a very good quarterback class. So if you have one mm -hmm. staring you in the face, they, they at the very least have to do a lot of homework on those guys and determine uh, and weigh the pros and cons of starting two in 2021. Yeah, it, that it's going to be fascinating to how, see how that plays out, because whilst I 
yeah, I, I say it's an overreaction. He certainly hasn't given us enough of a body of work to be sure that he is a, you know, he is a lock as their franchise quarterback going forwards. Uh, interesting fallout from the Philadelphia situation. Uh, yeah. Everybody seemingly completely piling on to Doug Peterson. And I was interested to read Jason Kelsey's comments and particularly in an Instagram post that he put out there saying, and maybe coming to the aid of, or definitely coming to the aid of his, of his head coach, but you know, maybe putting the alternative argument forward, which is not necessarily a popular view, but, but deserves a hearing that the plan was always to bring in Nate Sudfeld and he's a vet on the team. He always been there, you know, three, four years. It's week 17. There's nothing in the game for, for Philly. Why shouldn't these players get a chance to show what they can do? And, and I, I have some sympathy with that argument, even if I think it's in the context of that particular game and where the game was, it's a little far fetched. What happens to, to Doug Peterson? Does he weather this storm? Do you think ultimately? Yeah, well, that, that's been the expectation. Just talking to people around the league, um, they do expect Doug to survive. But even last night, uh, there wasn't full clarity on that yet. Uh, the, the owner has, has met, is my understanding. I think that he's met with Doug Peterson uh, already, you know, in, in their postseason meetings. But uh, nothing has been fully crystallized. I mean, the owner needs to come out and say it. Uh, and, and I don't think that's happened yet. You know, um, they're, they're probably sorting through maybe some potential staff changes. And uh, so that, that becomes quite the process but this was always going to drag on a little bit it wasn't going to be like a monday firing i still mm -hmm. expect him to stay but um you know there's there's some moving parts especially trying to wade through uh the mess of sunday night where you're right doug peterson had made clear during the week and said publicly that he was going to play nate sudfeld or wanted to at least so it wasn't that much of a shock it was just all the factors of a sunday night game with the giants needing them to get into the playoffs and the fact that it was a three point game, you had a chance mm. to win it. It just was very odd to put him in at that time. Is that patronizing? I mean, just playing this counter argument, this story does fascinate me. Is it patronizing to Nate yeah. Sudfeld given that Jalen Hurts wasn't playing particularly well? I mean, I know he was offering them, he scored and was offering them, I guess, different dimensions, but with his army, he wasn't playing particularly well. Is it really patronizing to a player like Nate Sudfeld? And we often malign backups or overlook them. Guys that were, to the most part, stars in college that for whatever reason, situation, or they just don't quite have the X factor, they're not starters in the NFL, but these are top elite athletes that we're talking about here. Is it a little bit patronizing to say, well, we don't have a chance now because we're bringing in Nate Sidfeld? The short answer is yes. Uh, but it, I don't know what they were going to see in Nate Sudfeld in a quarter of play. That's the thing. You might as well have just started him in the game. Right. Uh, I don't know what you got out of one fourth quarter coming in cold when the offensive line was clearly not prepared for that. That was the issue. Mm -hmm. Even though Doug Peterson had said it, it wasn't a total shock. Uh, by Kelsey's post, it was clear that the offensive line had to adjust and was a little surprised. Um, and so mm -hmm. that probably played into a little bit of his struggles with the ball and fumbling and, and some of those things. So, um, you know, organizationally, Peterson could have got everybody a little bit more ready uh, for that situation. And then, of course, you know, there's a speculation about whether they're just trying to get the better draft pick. Nobody's ever going to say that public, publicly or privately. Um, but uh, that's always going to be out there because they, they, they moved up three spots. And if you're able to trade Carson Wentz or if they decide to do that, that's a smart thing. Those three spots make a huge difference in a potential quarterback. This is a very good class and among those top three to four guys. So mm. um, that's probably too much for the Eagles to ignore. Do you think that just bringing the, this to, to this conversation to a close in terms of the Philly situation. Do you think that 
in many respects, it obviously it's not lost on the ownership. They see the, the clear advantage and long-term advantage of that draft capital and gain. And as a result, it's not going to be the decisive factor on whether they keep Peterson or not. Or is that going to be offset by the pretty much uniform vitriol and embarrassment that has been caused by the, the decision, the situation? And that might end up being too overbearing and, uh, and too insurmountable for Peterson to get past. Yeah, and I don't think they weighed all that thoroughly enough. Now, look, mm. I, I'm, I'm not saying they tanked the game, but I'm saying if if draft positioning went into any thought process during the week, that whole process is very nuanced. We saw it mm. with the Miami Dolphins last year. Everybody thought they were tanking. They ended up winning five games, mm. um, but they had given up a ton of players for a ton of draft picks. And so, all you know, you can't go out there with players you're paying a lot of money to and say, hey, we're going to try to massage the game. It just it, it doesn't work that way. Um, but you can create scenarios like putting Nate Sunfeld the game in the fourth quarter randomly when not everybody knows about it. Um, and so it, it's, it's, there's no way to really do it if you want to compromise the game. Um, and, uh, you know, you put everybody from the head coach to the players in a difficult spot and you're in a, a market like Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, which is ravenous. You know, they want answers all the time. It, it's, it's, it's a beautiful market for that reason. Uh, but it's it's probably it's it's easier to do that in Miami than it is in Philly, um, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, and so it's we're we're seeing that right now. It's like it, they're I don't know. Um, yeah, e- even just on a surface level, just from a coaching standpoint, if you want to play Nate Sudfeld, I don't know if they thought all the factors through that it was going to be this much of a backlash. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, just quickly on the coaching carousel, because you, you referenced, of course, the the situation. Uh, in Houston and mentioned Eric Bieniemy's name. Just want to get a sense when you look at the the vacancies, obviously Jacksonville, uh, the Jets with Adam Gaze, uh, unsurprisingly gone Detroit and Atlanta. We've known uh, for a while as with Houston. So some pretty interesting uh, opportunities. I, I'm keen to understand what you think are, are the most enticing. And alongside Bieniemy, I'm hearing uh, Arthur Smith's name getting talked up, Joe Brady as well, which is interesting considering he's only been in the NFL for five minutes. So who are the coordinators that are, uh, are in the uh, the front line for, for landing a spot? And what do you think of the different opportunities? Which ones are the most attractive, do you think? Yeah, so as far as candidates, I mean, you know, you, you, I'm hearing a lot about Robert Sala, the 49ers coordinator in Detroit. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's one they're, they're going to at least think long and hard about. Um, I wouldn't call him a favorite yet. It, it's still a little too early, but if I had to pick one, he would be the favorite right now. Um, you know, I do think Eric Bieniemy gets one of the jobs. Uh, it just in his interview for five of them already, Houston's the yes. only one. Uh, and so we're going to see, you know, th- this is a good week for Bieniemy to, for a team to just hire him now because most coaches have to wait till next week to interview if they're in the playoffs in the wild card. Where Bieniemy has the bye, doesn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. He's in a better position. Uh, so it's probably good to try to take advantage of that now. Um, so if he gets one by the end of the week, it wouldn't surprise, especially with the league really wanting a minority hire, needing a minority hire this year for good reason. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Joe Brady is uh, there's some momentum there. Um, I don't think he's a major factor for all the jobs he interviewed for, but I think Atlanta, from what I'm hearing, um, he is, you know, he did well in the interview and, and he thinks he has a chance at that one. So uh, that's going to be interesting to watch. You know, a young guy whose offense uh, didn't light the world on fire this year. Right. He's ranked on the bottom half of the league. Uh, but he's he's one of those – he's known as kind of a football brainiac. He's very smart. You put him in a room like that, talk football, he can impress the right people, you yeah. know. Um, Jacksonville, 
is considered largely the best job despite their issues in the past. It's a complete clean slate. Whoever goes in there can just dig in, get a seven-year contract and and change the culture and, and just have time to do it. I mean, really, I think that's, that's why it's coveted where uh, the Chargers job, because of Justin Herbert, because of the pieces, a good general manager in place there, that's probably number one or two. The problem is the Chargers are in, fair or not have sort of been viewed the Cincinnati Bengals of the West, you know, mm. just uh, kind of perpetually 500 or maybe not all that great and don't spend a whole lot. Um, you know, they're, they're just, they've never gone above and beyond to be the absolute best. Mm. Uh, it's just never happened for them. So, you know, uh, I think culturally, is that a concern for a new head coach going in there? Yeah, it's fascinating. The Jacksonville worth pointing out the Trevor Lawrence, in case it was in any doubt, there was some rumors that he might not, uh, come out in the draft, but he's announced that he's definitely going to do that. So obviously that's a lock. I'm hearing the name Urban Meyer. We're connected with Jacksonville. Is there any mileage in that? Yeah, there is. Um, it's it's growing. I'll put it that way. I mean, there's, mm. there's uh, a lot of people around the league are expecting that right now. It just depends on you know. It it depends on whether this is just something Urban Meyer is is flirting with, or or if he's all in. You know, because. He has a relationship with the owner, Shad Khan. And then you know, I think if all parties want to make it happen, you know, um, yeah. it, it's on the table for him. It just depends on whether he wants to wait out a college job like, a you know, like a Notre Dame or a job he's always wanted on that side. He's a great mm. recruiter. Um, so that's probably his biggest strength. You know, do you put him uh, back in college? So I think that's the decision he'll have to weigh. But uh, he would have to be the favorite right now uh, based on kind of the buzz around the league. Why do you think, just a final point on that, because you got me thinking as, as you're talking about recruitment and uh, the fundamental differences in terms of skill set between a, uh, an NFL head coach and a college head coach. Why do you think Nick Saban has never come back to the league? Is it because it's, he's on such a good gig with Alabama lucratively in terms of dominance? Uh, is, is, is it more than that? Is there a sense that um, the right opportunity hasn't come up to NFL owners ever consider him or is it quite clear that he's never coming back it's pretty clear uh that with nick saban in alabama and, and to a lesser extent Dabo swinney and clemson uh when you get it rolling um you can almost treat it like a college basketball job if you're sort of a legend in your spot you can coach there forever mm. um and so he's got uh, you know he makes 10 million a year whatever it is and you know, every year they're loaded and they're better than they've ever been right now. Uh, and so like, you know, when, when you have it like that and you know that your recruiting pipeline is so good and you're always going to be, you know, at worst 10 and two, um, you know, it's, it's hard to leave that. Why would you leave that? Uh, and Urban Meyer should have had that at Ohio State, you know, had some factors of what happened, you know, with, um, with, with the assistant coach and, and the scandal involved there and his role in that. And, um, you know, it changed the dynamic. But, you know, as long as you know that, you can stay clear of any sort of off-field issues and just keep the ball rolling with recruiting and, and winning, then uh, college can be a great job. It's just not that for most. Like I, I'm hearing more than ever, more college coaches are trying to go to the NFL mm. uh, because they're sick of not only the recruiting, but um, you know, transfer rules and, and, you know, college football didn't handle COVID as well as the NFL did. Right. Uh, just factors like that are making it a, a more difficult job. You know, the NFL seems fun to just go and be able to coach. Um, mm. but you know, if, if you're Nick Saban or one of those top guys, it, it's probably the, probably the best job in the world. You know, it's easier to win there 
than it is in Jacksonville, you know, where they win four games a year. Uh, so, <laughs> right. like, you know, if you, if you get it going, it's, it's worth it staying in college. Makes sense. Okay, a uh, couple of games uh, wildcard weekend that I want to talk to you about. Start with the Ravens-Titans. And the Ravens, of course, blazing into the playoffs. And offensively, they are looking really in sync. But is that a little bit deceptive, Jeremy? When you look at the last five games, they've averaged over 37 points. And they're tearing up defenses. But those defenses are the Cowboys, the Bengals, the Jags, the Giants, and Cleveland, the only playoff team in that five game stretch so are we getting a little bit carried away with baltimore uh reversing a, a season that was kind of in free fall really midway through or should we be taking them seriously I, I think it's somewhere in the middle um lamar jackson's played better there's no question about it he, he's on a tear right now uh but you have to account for the defense that they played it's the same with the chicago bears uh they were playing better under mitch trubisky but they were also playing inferior opponents uh, played the Packers at the end of the year, didn't put up as many points. You know, it's just right. uh, it, it's that time of year now where Lamar Jackson is going to have to earn those tough yards from the pocket. Uh, but Tennessee is probably the perfect opponent for them right now because of their struggles in the secondary. I mm. mean, they just can't cover right now. They don't have enough pass rush to help out. Um, and, you know, they've been depleted in the secondary. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know how Lamar Jackson doesn't have a big game, especially with his two playoff game struggles the last two years. He's going to want to go out there and make it happen. Um, you know, as long as he can get his easy yards running the ball when the, when the pocket does collapse, he should have a good day. Yeah, because obviously they're both going to lean heavily on, on the ground game. But I guess that yeah. if the respective defenses of Baltimore's is stronger, as you say, is able to, to neutralize that to, to a degree. And I'm not quite sure what the definition of neutralizing Derek Henry is. But if uh, Baltimore's run game is neutralized, there just seems to be more, and maybe it's because of the versatility of Lamar and the, uh, the the lack of bite that the Tennessee defense has, there just seems to be more variation and range for, for Baltimore if, if, if that indeed happens. This stat blew my mind, Jeremy, that the Titans, and this alludes to your point about pass rush, I guess, the Titans, uh, 51.9%, they're allowing third down conversions, which is the, the worst in NFL history. Well, okay, since modern NFL history, you know, the last the last 30 wow. plus years. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. incredible. Mike Vrabel is, a, by all accounts, a really capable coach. He is obviously a defensively yeah. minded coach. Why is this defense so bad? Is it is it simply down to lightweight personnel and they let they let too many? Yeah. I mean, Jarrell Casey going seemed to be a, a, something they'll, they might live to regret. I mean, what has gone so horribly wrong with the Tennessee defense? Yeah, I point to personnel and, and most specifically the pass rush. You get rid of Jarrell Casey, but then you sign Jadavion Clowney and Vic Beasley. And they spent good money on those players, one-year deals, but uh, they gave them, you know, almost $30 million combined in the whole package, and both were a disaster. I mean, Clowney got hurt, too, you know, so it's, it's hard to call that a disaster. It's not all his fault, but zero sacks in the games he played. He was one of the most coveted free agents and waited out all summer, finally signed with Tennessee. It was a big yeah. deal. They got nothing out of it. Vic Beasley couldn't see the field, had problems even uh, showing up the training camp. And so when you were counting on those players up front, really Jeffrey Simmons is the only guy who's sort of that blue chip up front that can, that can try to dominate a game. And so you just don't have enough. Um, and so, you know, so much of, of being able to, to cover teams and stop teams on third down and seven in the passing game is just to have a good pass rush. You look right. at Pittsburgh. That's why Pittsburgh can make a run in the next few weeks is because of that pass rush. If you don't have it, everything falls apart. 
Yeah, yeah. Just one more on this one, and then we'll talk at Steelers Cleveland uh, before we let you go. Lamar, as you say, going to be motivated. That's inevitably the overwhelming narrative going into this, that he's 0-2 in the playoffs, and look what happened last year, and he can't throw the ball. Is there a danger that if it doesn't go Baltimore's way and Tennessee get the win, uh, uh, that this becomes one of those things, like Romo style, that he can't win a playoff game and the, the, the momentum builds and it starts to become self-perpetuating as a result. In other words, there is a line at which if you continue to, to lose something, even if it isn't true at the moment that he's not capable of being a good uh, playoff quarterback or a, a, an effective playoff quarterback, that at some point that gains so much momentum that it starts to affect the future. It could, but I, I do think that Baltimore, from my understanding, that you know Baltimore looks at uh, Lamar Jackson as as wholly capable of handling that sort of adversity. Like he wouldn't break under that pressure, even if they did lose. You know, they feel like he would come back stronger. He's got uh, a lot of courage. Uh, and that's a word that's been used to just talking to NFL personnel when they compare Lamar to say, you know, some other quarterbacks that are younger. They're like Lamar. You know, he's such a gamer. Mm. He's got courage. He you know he he doesn't uh, he doesn't shy away from the big moment. So if he struggles, it's simply because, you know, he didn't make the throws or wasn't accurate enough. But, you know, game on the line, you want, you know, you like your chances with Lamar. Mm. Uh, and so they think it's a, just a matter of when he breaks through, not if. And so, uh, but this year, uh, I, I think the way they're playing uh, and they're getting healthier on defense, you know, th this is a team that um, entered the year as a Super Bowl contender, didn't show it. But now I think they're back to that form. Probably one of the most dangerous teams in the AFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, really interesting to 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 hear that about Lamar. I guess slightly different perspective with with Baker Mayfield, at least the, the public perception. And I know he's rehabilitated that a lot this year, and and he's been increasingly looking very capable on uh, on the field. And Stefanski clearly has a lot to do with that. But is there that the, the risk that, irrespective of the COVID challenges they've got going into the game against the Steelers, that there is a fear that Mayfield is still too erratic, and, and particularly in a situation like this he doesn't necessarily have the psyche to deal with the pressure. I think they just need to rely on the system that they've had. And, and that when you have Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and that running game, milk that and let Baker do the rest. And I, so the more they simplify it, uh, the better they're going to be. You know, they don't need to have Baker throw the ball 50 times just because the head coach is out and one of the linemen are out. You know, I think they can weather that. Um, you know, really the only rough moment Baker's had recently was that Jets game, but he was missing his top four receivers. Yeah, uh, so, and two linemen know, as well think, there, right? So, Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, by and large, the season's been a huge success, whether uh, he struggles this weekend or not. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think they're in a good place with him. Uh, and, you know, this is – you talk to other people around the league, they'll say, look, the Browns have the best running game uh, in the league where a lot of quarterbacks could thrive in that system. Right. Um, that's not to discredit Baker, but it's just what they have going. They're creating uh, good passing windows for him to throw in. So, uh, and Baker has capitalized on that, you know, so they're pleased with him. I think they just figure he's going to go out and, and do what he's been doing all year. And they'll just they'll rely heavily on Chubb and, and Hunt. Will Betonio out affect that? Because you, know, you mentioned the, the, the Jets game and the, the logic when all those receivers went down was, well, they're just going to get Chubb and Hunt running, but but because they were banged up on the line then as well, they couldn't do that. How much of an impact is that going to be in terms of establishing the ground game? Well, it's big because of who you're playing. You know, Pittsburgh, they have Cam Hayward, Stephon mm -hmm. it, two guys inside that are really good pass rushers, really strong. And so they need Batonio to help with that. So that's going to be the issue, more the interior pass rush. 
Uh, but it, this is a good offensive line, and they got they should be getting Wyatt Teller back, who's been out. He's a good guard, so mm. um, you know they're they're in position to still play well. Uh, you know, Batonio's a very good player, but you know he he's not uh, you know he's not going to dominate the game by himself. So that, mm. they feel good about their plan. I don't think they're going to change much. In terms of the Steelers, were you surprised they rested Ben uh, in Week 17? Given look, I understand the logic. We all understand the logic. He's taken a lot he's got a lot of miles in the uh on the clock hasn't he and taken a lot of of hits over the years and there was nothing really needed uh from uh the Steelers in that game the flip side of that is the offense has been so out of rhythm so out of sync other than the second half of the Colts game that it might be counterproductive might prove to be counterproductive or is that a crazy line of thinking when you look at a quarterback as experienced as Roethlisberger yeah, I think that's what they're relying on is is just uh, Big Ben's done this so many times, and they've rested him in the past, and he's still mm-hmm. played okay in the playoffs. You know, they've had situations where they either had the bye wrapped up or, or their playoff seating was finalized, you know. So uh, Mason Rudolph playing well for them, I think, is was a good change of pace going into the postseason because they got the deep ball going a little bit more with a younger quarterback. I don't wonder if that gets Ben uh, on even more of an edge this week. Like, mm-hmm. hey, okay, you know, you got this other guy playing – my role for a week and played pretty well. I'm going to come back and remind everybody what I can do. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, he's probably above that and isn't thinking along those lines, but you know, subconsciously there might be something there. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it, I think it actually created some positive momentum for the offense actually. Um, you know, it, it reminded them again that they're capable of stretching the field, you know, so, but mm. they, they have to be able to run the ball a little bit. It's been right. so uh, at times pathetic the way they can't run the ball. Yeah. Um, and they know it and, and it's been hard for them to figure that out. Is that ultimately going to be their Achilles heel that in terms of a deep playoff run that if they can't work, somehow work that out, they haven't all season long pretty much, but uh, if assuming James Connor stays fit, I mean, if they can get something going there, just some kind something. of upside. Yeah. Then, then they're going to have a fighting chance. If they don't, then they're going to be too one dimensional. Yeah. Just a thread of it. They don't need to run the ball 25 times a game to balance out 25 passes. It's not about that. It's just about, showing a team you can at least do it when you need to um at times they have not been able to do that at all so you're relying solely on the short passing game and teams are going to sit on that um so you know i think that uh to at least run the ball somewhat and be able to stretch the field with some vertical throws uh even if you don't complete them all uh, just to try to keep the defense honest is going to be big for them because you know their their defense is going to keep them in every game yeah, right. One more for you, Jeremy. Out of all the Wild Card Weekend games, which one are you looking forward to the most? You know, I'm, I'm kind of uh, psyched about the Rams-Seahawks game because mm. of John Walford. I, I like the way he played. Um, he's just an intriguing storyline, assuming Jared Goff can't get back in time Yeah, uh, to play coming off that thumb surgery. And so, you know, it will probably be low scoring because Seattle's been playing that way. So I'm kind of curious when they let Russ cook it up a little bit versus when they go conservative, mm. um, you know, cause everybody, I'm sure you've heard that phrase, you know, let Russ cook, let, let right. Russell, you know, air it out in the beginning of the season. They finally did that and everybody was excited. Uh, but I think you're seeing now they scaled it back because they feel like their identity is still pretty conservative. And that actually Russell Wilson is more of a conservative quarterback than you would think mm. um, because you know, the turnovers, like it, it's, you know, they know if they go too far, lean too hard on, on, on letting him air it out. They, they turn the ball over and they have a hard time controlling the game sometimes. Mm. So they scaled it back. I think it's probably going to be a little low scoring. So you're going to see some good defense. And, and I'm curious to see if the Rams can push them and pull that one out. What the, the Rams saying and McVay in particular about Wolford. I mean, it, what's the, what's the kind of inside skinny there? Because it, they seem to be really big on him. Yeah. It's kind of, 
um, I don't know if they were just trying to pump confidence in him or not, but they, mm. I, I honestly think they like what they've seen uh, scouting him from uh, the days he was playing semi-pro ball in the, in the uh, American Alliance League. And then now mm. uh, coming in, you know, he's a former uh, potential Wall Street investor coming out of Wake Forest. <laughs> right. you know, he's right. looking at getting a job off his LinkedIn page. Uh, <laughs> and But he's just, they, they like the way he can run their offense where, you know, you run the play action and you got to make quick decisions off that. They like the way he kind of processes uh, information before the snap and after the snap. You mm. hear that all the time of how important that is now more than ever mm. for a quarterback. And, and he he, have, he just kind of has a good knack for that. Mm. And, and that's, of course, a, I guess a weak link for Jared Goff, right? Um, you could say so. That is fascinating. I'm looking forward to that. Well, we're going to get into that game in a bit with uh, Tom Deacon, who's joining us shortly. Jeremy, really appreciate your time as ever, your insight. Thanks for dropping by. Anytime. Happy New Year. Lovely stuff from Jeremy. He'll be back soon. Really appreciate his insight. Finger on the pulse. No doubt about that. Let's get down to business and cover the other games we didn't get into with Jeremy, with our old friend, an all-pro member of the NC show, the brilliant Tom Deacon. Tom Deacon, always good to see you, particularly on the eve of Super Wild Card Weekend. Oh, <laughs> never wild. forget the Super. The super. <laughs> has it always been? It hasn't always been Super. I think it's this year that it has become Super. And, and you've made a, a super effort for us uh, once again in terms of in terms of your background. So for all of our listeners who are checking out the pod but haven't gone onto our social channels at the NC Show, that's where the video lives: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And why wouldn't you want to check? those videos out when you can see the the, the remarkable backdrop that Tom Deacon every time comes up with something oh, new. You're too kind that. Yes, I've put gone to the effort today uh, with putting a Vernon Davis signed 49ers shirt. Why Where did he sign it? Whereabouts? Uh, he signed it. I'll, I'll even bring it closer for the visuals, nice. uh, for the people just listening. Um, <laughs> it's not as good, but he signed it. And here's a little lesson. Um, I, I folded it immediately after he signed it in permanent. So it's actually on the other side as well. Oh, which, it's uh, lodged. I like that. Yeah. yeah but I'm sure there's a, I'll, I'll Google it or YouTube it to find out how we can get rid of that. And on the yeah. other side, I've got a New Orleans Reggie Bush um, jersey, which I got from New Orleans when I, when I went. But I make the effort now because you know why? A few people online have said, why are you getting Tom Deacon on? And it's not just because we're mates, but also because I am, for the second time in a row, a Fantasy League winner. That is why I am yeah. on this podcast. Because... I bring about. the knowledge, the onions. Um, you might not like what I say, but I say it truthfully and with facts. And I often say it with conviction. So it is great to be back. To be fair, the only other person in the fantasy league that you won was Adam Gaze. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was not exactly yeah. a high bar, right? Uh, everyone expected Adam Gase to take Frank Gore in the draft, and he did. Uh, so they were solid eight or maybe seven <laughs> points each week. So uh, did he well take done, Frank Gore in the first round? <laughs> but here's the thing: now he's on the um, he's an option. I might contact mm. him, get in contact with Adam Gase, and say, "Hey, next season fantasy league, I need to hold on to this title. Love that. Um, you got any tips? Well, just make him a co-owner. I like I like that idea. You, you're allowed to do that. I am a co-owner of uh, my fantasy team with Olympic gold medalist Mark Hunter, who, as Ooh. longtime listeners will know, famously drafted a tight end in the first round who Ben Watson <laughs> it wasn't even he drafted George Kittle in the third round it was what, what, Ben what, Watson 
Well, what caused most controversy uh, was Le'Veon Bell went in, um, I think, pick number seven this year Mm. in our draft, uh, which he was playing for the Jets. Anyway, listen, I I don't want to get sidetracked with with that. Congratulations anyway. Thank you very much. The super wild card uh, weekend. Please don't forget that. We have covered a couple of games with Jeremy Fowler and we've saved... All, frankly, all the good ones for you, Tom Deakins. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get straight down to it because there's a ton to cover. I want to start with the Colts Bills because I think it is one of the the most games are hard to call. I think it's fair to say this weekend one or two a bit more straightforward. But the Colts Bills amongst the hardest because the Bills opened the week as heavy favorites, kind of touchdown favorites. And as uh, producer Ollie was telling me on our Edge Rush show, which uh, you can pick up. I think it's dropping late Friday uh, whenever you listen to this. So either before or after that, that'll kind of give you a mark if you want to listen to the Edge Rush show. That a lot of money coming in on the Colts. So that that line is is coming down. Now, there are a few reasons for that. Stefan Diggs, at the time of us recording this, Tom, Thursday yeah. afternoon. Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley as well. Not clear cut in terms of fitness, right? Their injury concerns, which of course will have a significant impact if either miss out and certainly if if Diggs is missing that's a, that's a massive blow but Beasley too an instrumental part of that offense but the Bills nevertheless heavy favorites and you can understand why looking statistically right now at this offense because it has been humming I think it's fair to say second in the NFL in terms of total yards per game second in the NFL total points per game top six in yards per point yards per play for the best on third down conversion average time of possession number three in the league as well they're absolutely bossing it i mean it's no doubt about it they're one of the teams going into the nfl with momentum yeah uh, nat totally on board with the bills uh, when i look at where the money is lying in this game unanimously it's the on the bills um and and good reason why you know the afc east champs um and uh, and Josh Allen has been lights out, if not MVP contention. He's definitely been there or thereabouts all season. And he, he looks different. He looks like he can actually carry uh, the Bills. But like you say, if Stefan Diggs doesn't play, if Cole Beasley, who's had his best ever yep. stat season in the NFL, can't be there to take the field, then will they struggle? But then... They looked incredible with their with the, with their backups uh, playing uh, in in their last game against the, the Miami Dolphins. They play to win. They play to throw that football, um, and they look fearless, mm. which is not like the Bills that were in the playoffs last season. Yeah, and a lot gets talked about that, doesn't it? The, the experience. I've often thought about this, not just specific to the NFL, but but generally in sports when you hear people talking about well they'll they'll benefit from the experience of being there say if it's the champions league and they go out in the last 16 and you think well how like what does that what does that mean and i think it is absolutely true in in the nfl certainly for a coach like sean mcdermott certainly for a player like josh allen it is inevitably going to be an altogether different proposition when you've got plenty under your belt and that of course is the big angle as far as the, the Colts are concerned, right? Because you've got Rivers, who is one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the game right now. Of course, probably the best quarterback never to make it to a Super Bowl, certainly of his generation and uh, running out of time. But he is, if we're talking about the Bills absolutely humming, he is on point. And I think it's really gone under the radar. We talked a bit about it on the show, Tom. I think 
a lot of it is a stylistic thing. I think increasingly in the generation that we live in where highlights are instant, the NFL is getting more and more innovative offensively. We're seeing more and more players like Mahomes just changing the rule book in terms of what he's what he's able to deliver. And so a slightly unreconstructed old school, uh, not particularly mobile uh slinging vet like rivers who doesn't have the most gainly style in terms of passing either i think does go go under the radar and if you look at the numbers here he's had the third highest completion percentage of his career this season he's thrown nine fewer picks than he did last year he's obviously got a much better offensive line in front of him which has helped both of those as well and they've got a really good ground game rolling too and i think that's that could be key here the ground game of the colts gaining gaining edge up against one of the weak links, as far as the Bills' defense is concerned, the Bills, I guess, in totality, their rush defense, they're ranked, what, third worst in the NFL, according to PFF, in terms of their season-grade run defense. So surely that is cause for optimism for the Colts. Yeah, cause for optimism. I will be very positive about the Colts here. Mm. You're talking about Philip Rivers, the guy to never win a Super Bowl. Um, Jacoby Brissett and him have done very well for the Colts uh, this season. Uh, I love it watching him mic'd up. Philip Rivers is fantastic to watch. Let's go, D. Come on, home D. He's really passionate, never swears, yeah. just really behind his team. So if you want a leader to, to, to lead and galvanize the team, yeah. great. Philip Rivers is there for you. Yes, they've got that run game going with Taylor. He had, I think, a franchise um, for, the, for uh, the Colts, a record, and his last matchup, over 200 odd yards he ran for. So great. On, on the run game, looks tidy, looks good. Problem is for the Colts, they just can't complete enough on third down. Uh, mm. I think that in terms of their percentage, it's not as good. When you mm. look at the Bills, they've got one of the best third down conversion rates. So it's going to come down to that to that defense. Someone like DeForest Buckner for the Colts mm. um, to rush and, and to put Josh Allen under pressure. Can he do it? Um, mm. As they always say in NFL uh, at these moments, these, these effort plays win games. And Anything can happen, but I still would lean against the Bills. They're just too strong uh, for this Colts team. And I'm trying to be optimistic uh, uh, about the Colts' chance because anything we know, it's playoff football now. Forget mm. about the regular season. That's done. This is this is knockout football now. So the Colts can, uh, with Jacoby Brissett and Philip Rivers, galvanize that team and get across the line. But they're going against, if not the, the outside chance of winning the Super Bowl, the Bills. You know, I wonder on that hype around the bills and and the impact that that's going to have if anything and and it's something that Ollie and I got into on edge rush so head on over there if you want to listen to that in depth but a kind of summary and keen to get your opinion on it it's very different for the bills this time out because they're going into the playoffs now as um, well certainly amongst the favorites the chiefs are obviously the favorites but this more and more this narrative about well if any team's going to take down the the Chiefs, it's going to be the Bills. Like they're the t- they're the very much the buzz team right now, and I wonder how that suits Buffalo. Well, last time out in the playoffs last year, everyone said, should the Bills be there? How have they managed mm. to get there? Josh Allen led that team, and he wasn't even the Josh Allen that we're giving all the plaudits and the credit to this season. So he carried that team. You've got the weapons in Stefan Diggs and uh, and Cole Beasley, who who they just they're just singing from the same hymn sheet. They look great. The pressure is on them. So will they implode? I just doubt it. But th- mm. I think that would be the only way they would lose this game against the Colts if they stop believing in themselves, mm. believe that hype, 
and something goes amiss, you know, an interception from Josh Allen, it's a pick six. We've seen that so many times with the Colts this year. That can change the dynamic of the game. Then the Colts start running the football. Bills don't have the ball. There's not enough time on the clock. Anything can happen as we know, but I just think the Bills believe in themselves and the way they dismantled Miami uh, with all of their cornerbacks and, and how well they've been playing on, on defense all year. I just like them. Will they beat the Chiefs? I, I, I doubt that, but I'm, I'm liking these Bills and they're the only ones that can, can beat them, I think. Mm, okay, let's go to the NFC for our next game. Rams, Seahawks, another keenly poised matchup, right? Uh, as you, yeah, I think you're rubbing your San Francisco top because you've got two rivals here uh, going head to head. Which is, <laughs> it makes that pain even more acute. The 49ers are in there. So if you want to, if you want to clutch onto it, Tom, for, uh, for the whole of this particular game chat, feel free to do that. No, I'm, listen, I'm going to be, I'm, as I said, I'm not going to sit on the fence. I'm not going to be talking about the Niners. I, I know I'm doing it right now. So that defeats what I've just said, but <laughs> this is the only time I'm going to mention the Niners. Uh, yes. Uh, division rivals. Um, and this game, and I look at it and think if, if they've played each other once or um, twice this, this season mm-hmm. already, and they've both won against each other. So if anyone knows each other, how they're going to play, it's this matchup. And I don't think this is going to be a pretty game. I think this is going to be real stuck in the trenches, sacks galore, nothing pretty about this game. Um, so yeah, that's all I'm going to say on it so far. Now, please, please, you, you take over now because I'm going to be unbiased. You, you, you're spot on with, and certainly Vegas agrees with you as as the saying goes, the over-under is particularly low. I think people think this is going to be a low-scoring, defensively driven affair. And you could understand why, certainly, in, as far as the Rams are concerned, it is, I would argue, the best defense in the NFL. I certainly think it's on, you know, on that shortlist. And through the entire unit, you know, obviously that front seven, they're going to have Brockers back, which is a, is a, is a big plus there. That tag team of, of Jalen and, and Darius Williams has to be amongst the best corner tag team in, in the league right now. Jalen shut down DK Metcalf both times these guys played. And that is the, the benefit of having a, a shutdown corner like Jalen Ramsey. You can neutralize the biggest aerial threat there. And that is, is clearly an issue for Seattle, but much less so now, I think, than it would have been or it was seven, eight weeks ago, and certainly was at the start of the season because their offensive game plan has changed. It's gone, it's reverted to type. They've gone back to leading with a run uh, and they're a very different offensive outfit to the one we saw at the start of the season. So it's really, really intriguing, I think, whether Russell Wilson will be able to uh, mix things up to the degree that we've seen him do and has had a huge amount of success, even when the overall offensive flow is breaking down a little bit against a defense this good that is chiming as well as they are right now. You'd be insane to back against Russell Wilson, but this offensive line is in all kinds of disarray. And I think the the Rams are going to have a lot of success there. There was a really interesting point made with uh, by Mike Tannier, uh, who's a brilliant writer. And uh, it's something that we mentioned a bit on the Edge Rush show, really relevant, I think, to, to mention here in relation to this game. Looking at the specific matchups with regards to the way that Seattle set themselves up and rarely use a, a nickel and dime defense, right? And obviously as well with Adams blitzing more than any other safety in the league, 
that puts a lot of pressure on one of their rookie linebackers, Seattle's rookie linebackers called Jordan Brooks. And the point Tanier is making is that that is a mess when you're up against a Sean McVay style offense, right? That can really, really leverage that mismatch, particularly with, with Cooper Cup, who, who should be back. So I think that's going to be fascinating as well from on the other side of the ball, this improving and emerging Seahawks defense, whether they just don't sit well, a match up well against the Rams. Now, of course, the, the one major thing that we haven't got into yet is the Jared Goff situation. Goff, mm. at the time of recording, unclear if he's going to start or not, which means that John Wolford might be getting a second start. What do you make of his debut? I can't put my thumb on it. See what I did there, Nat? Because nice. Jared Goff, thumb injury. Yeah, um, nice. I, 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 I take on board everything you've, you've just said. And I think our listeners will be looking at this, not knowing who, if you were to 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 bet on a team and, and say, I think this team has got it because mm. the Seahawks have been, they've been sort of Jekyll and Hyde. One minute they were this explosive offense. We thought Russell Wilson, MVP candidate, how good is Russell Wilson? And then that sort of eased off and the defense has completely taken over uh, all, of, all of the sort of efforts of, of that Seahawks team. Mm. And the Rams, brilliant on defense fantastic i totally agree with you the number one defense in the league right now so what does it come down to is it going to purely come down to this game who can be the better quarterback who can roll that offense because defensively you need to play lights out to beat these better defenses that that you're going up against and russell wilson you know how many times is he going to be sacked but he's kind of he resurrects like the day of the dead he just keeps getting back up again (laughs) and and he's the undertaker of nfl quarterbacks yeah i mean because because he's just remarkable how you can't hurt russell wilson he just keeps getting up and keeps going at you um but i i look at this and and i think the rams have got a better chance of winning without jared goff and i know that might be seen as controversial as a little bit left field but Wolford's got it all to do, but he's got mm. no pressure on his back. Jared Goff has not played well this mm. season. He's done, done just enough. A couple of bootlegs here, left, right, and center. Um, and I feel like if he just plays with a bit of confidence and like, I've got nothing to lose here, a couple of deep balls will, will do the Seahawks. So I, I actually think the Rams can take this game because I, I don't like the way that the offense is going for the Seahawks. But you again, of any quarterback, you can't write off Russell Wilson. So this is why it's so close uh, as a game. It's a great point you make, you know, uh, uh, particularly with Goff's obvious problem against pressure, right? And it's a point we often, I think, need to emphasize on the show because I just hear so many, so many pundits say, well, you know, he's not great under pressure. And so <laughs> can you give me any quarterback that thrives under pressure? But well, like Russell Wilson seems to, and Deshaun Watson, you know, they're kind of exceptions to the rule, but every quarterback regresses some more than others. Right. And Goff is the poster boy for that really. Uh, mm. And this is where the Seahawks are making hay at the moment defensively is their pass rush. That is how they've started to reclaim some of that identity uh, that we would typically associate with a, a Pete Carroll defense, right? And, and Adams is 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 brilliant in that respect. And and the the, the gamble, I guess, with you having him blitz so much, Mike Tanier, you know, brilliantly explained that you leave issues underneath, and and that is where a McVay style offense, when in rhythm, can really carve you up. And just as our friend OC Humanero would say, death by a thousand cuts. So it, it is intriguing if Goff plays and they get in his face, I think that's an issue for, for the Rams. And in many respects, Wolford's the better bet there because he is he's more mobile, as he demonstrated in the first game. And and also, the, the tape's not there. The, right. the 
the, the Seahawks know how to play Jared Goff, right. smack him in the mouth, and and he'll begin to to panic. Now I'm not, yeah. and you're quite right to say that about quarterbacks. Everyone, I don't. No one likes being punched in the face, um, but in terms of a quarterback getting up again, um, yeah. you need someone to be fearless in, in this matchup. And the likes of Carlos Dunlap running at you, uh, getting another, carving up another sack, uh, it must be terrifying. And the way that the, the Seahawks line up, you know, there'll be maybe five, six players just running at you, especially Adams as well. You know, it's mm. going to require McVeigh to think outside the box, come up with all these special plays uh, to try and carve up the Seahawks. And they're there for the taking at, at times. Where are you in terms of Carol and McVeigh? Who would you be? Tom Deacon has dropped three passes in the first half and you're sitting there by your locker and you're just waiting and you hear you hear the footsteps. And yeah. you, who are you more worried about facing? I'd immediately tell whoever head coach I decide in a second. That, that I'm injured and I can't can't play on. <laughs> the Randy Bullock. Do you remember earlier in the season when Bullock missed that kick and then just held his hammy straight away? Like, oh, oh, that's why. That's everyone. That's why uh, I missed the that's, kick. Would you blame your receiver as well? Would you, would you put it on? Do we just little whisper in his ear like, nah, I just want to say, coach, that was Nat. That was on that. Yeah. Oh, you would do it very, very quietly and, and <laughs> away from all cameras and make sure you're not mic'd up. Definitely. Mm. I might just say, I think I, I did tell him the other route, but listen, don't, for, <laughs> forget about it. Don't, let's just let's just focus on the next play. Um, <laughs> Pete Carroll, uh, if he's got the gum, if he's not chewing gum, I'd be mm. more f- f- fearful of him um, because you're like, he is he is teething that guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> He wants to go into you. But then Sean McVay just, it, sometimes this is eyes. It looks like a puppy dog. You'd feel more emotionally broke up. It's like when your parents say, I'm disappointed in you. Yeah. That's deep. Yeah. So maybe yeah. it's not the shouting. Maybe McVay and, and what happened in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. I'd be more mentally broken by McVay coming in and just giving me that emotional uh, bombardment. We were, getting, we were getting into that, the McVeigh, and I apologize, I can't remember who was talking uh, to me about this on the show the other week, but how McVeigh is one of those coaches that just seems to be, it might have even been Greg Brady, but who just seems to be encouraging his team and particularly golf, even when he's stinking the joint out. And I like that. I really like that about, about McVeigh that, you know, I, I reckon that game that Nate Peterman through whatever it was, six interceptions, <laughs> McVeigh would be, come on, Nate, you got this. Yeah, you're, you're, you're breaking me here, man. Come on, come on. Like watching him in hard knocks and you're like, I really like McVeigh. And this is the thing, whatever team you support, you, you can applaud um, greatness. And, and when mm. people are able to lift their team and man management and coaching, uh, when it's at the top, you have to take your hat off. You have to say that I like that. And and I do like Sean McVeigh. And uh, and yeah, Pete Carroll has is, is been there, done it. He's like an old dog that just will not go down. Um so yeah, I I feel like McVeigh is is the future of the NFL, and um, yeah, I, I, emotionally he would he would blackmail you worse. Mm, I it's going it to be great watching those two go head to head as well. A brilliant offensive mind, a, a brilliant defensive mind, and really really close game. Less so with the next two games, I think, but maybe you'll you'll beg to differ. So the Bucks taking on Washington in Washington, of course, because they are the divisional winners. So they get the home field advantage. Really interesting going into this week, into this game, this week, Chase Young calling out Tom Brady. I love this. I want Tom. Uh, it was his uh, declaration. And Brady's been quite effus- effusive and, and offsetting it. Old pro that he is. Brady said in response to, to, to Young, 
baring his teeth. He's obviously a great young player and we have our hands full with that defensive line. Well, that's absolutely true. You've got as well as as well as young Montez Sweat and Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. It's a heavyweight crew. And that is, we know, Tom, is the book on getting to Brady, right? I mean, you get mm. in Brady's face up the middle in particular and suddenly everything unravels, or at least it can in the past. That's how, how teams have taken down the great Brady. So does that give you cause for optimism that the Washington football team have got a, at least a fighting chance in this game? As I said earlier, Nat, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is just 60 minutes of football. As we know, anything could happen. And I'm not going to sit on the fence uh, with, with my answer. Yes, Washington can deliver on on defensively with, with that pressure that they have up front and and if you get in Tom Brady's grill he's not the most mobile quarterback although he has improved uh at the Bucks it seems to to be so they can protect him um, more than any offensive line can and the amount of mm. least amount of times he's been sacked so the Brady is well protected but Chase Young that's a different uh, uh mentality when you've got that coming at you and Montez Sweat but I I just don't see it and also I, I don't dislike chase young for saying that because you want to play the best that that's what we love about nfl do you think it's a mistake uh, no i i don't i don't think it's i mean tom brady's been there and done that uh the most amount of playoff wins as any quarterback leading his team but chase young i like that idea we don't want the weakest team we don't want to, to have the playoffs an easier run chase young's like yeah bring on brady i'm ready yeah. and he was skipping good morning football uh highlighted it you can't dislike a man who's skipping while he's saying bring on brady <laughs> Mean skipping as in rocky boxing skipping as opposed no. to no he was skipping along joyfully skipping off the field <laughs> um in in what was a very very ugly game against the eagles but i like that passion i like that commitment the, chase young believes in himself mm. so yes when they go up there he's he's going to be fearless but he's taking on an offensive line that have been able to protect tom brady what makes chase young uh, feel that he can do something differently that other defensive ends have, have not been able to do all season so I like that I like that confidence but if they do and are successful uh, defensively Washington offensively what are they able to muster everyone's banged up I love Alex Smith if you've mm. not watched the ESPN 30 for 30 uh, his recovery the man almost lost his leg not just mm. came back to, to, to play he almost lost his leg it is a very touching documentary it's beautiful mm. he's done what he had he is a warrior a champ for getting back there mm. but statistically you look at that they've got a chance if they have uh, Henneke their, their backup yeah. quarterback in I think they would have a better chance terry mclaurin a little bit banged up antonio gibson running the football banged mm. up uh you know logan where Thomas are the is... points coming from they're talking exactly. about that aren't they that it's, it's it's spot on about alex smith and clearly a lock for comeback player of the year right uh yeah. but they're talking about maybe interchanging henneke and alex smith which we're seeing more and more of course i mean the obvious examples there are when Taysom hill comes in for for the saints jacoby Brissett, you mentioned earlier on we see him in for for rivers obviously fits and tours a slightly different situation there but it is happening increasingly and this i think they're talking about taking it to next level where you're gonna have a more equal balance of snaps between quarterback now this is just rumbling at the moment and Ron Rivera and the and the Washington organization are not 
knocking that back and that could be mind games of course going into the playoffs and, and getting the bucks to think well maybe we're going to they're going to be doing this or how often and getting them thinking about it but that would be really interesting and i wonder if that's going to be something that we see more and more uh continue to increase uh, that that there is uh, a progressive approach to either bringing quarterbacks as closers kind of like how the the fins have a little bit in certain situations of course it makes huge sense and that's how the saints use Taysom hill but i'm talking about more steadily more interchanging a more even balance of snaps so that's going to be fascinating to watch you we rightly celebrate the washington front seven but this tampa bay front seven's pretty decent as well right i mean Mm. 47 sacks actually won more than Washington this season, they're both top six teams in terms of sacks. It's a decent defense, a decently balanced side, the way the offense is, is rolling now as well. If we think the Bills, Tom, uh, the team that are timing things right and are the most rounded to challenge the Chiefs in the AFC, are we? Are people sleeping a little bit on the bucks here? The way that they've suddenly seemingly turned the corner offensively in a blowing teams away. The final four games of the season, Brady has completed 69% of his passes, 1,300 plus yards, 12 touchdowns and one pick. So are we are we maybe sleeping a little bit on the Bucks? Are they the team that could... I mean, look, it's, it's more competitive, I think it's fair to say, in the NFC, but and maybe more open as a, as a result of that. But everyone's talking up the Packers, the Saints. Not many people talk about the Bucks as serious Super Bowl contenders. No. And if they want to go via your thought of, of, of seeing more like Jalen Hurts and Stidman, uh, Sudfield, sorry, uh, stepping up, that, 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 yes, that could happen. Um, Blaine Gabbert, I do not think will be coming in for a couple of snaps uh, over Tom Brady. But yes, I think, I don't <laughs> think it's, we're sleeping on the Bucks. I think our pessimistic British attitude a lot of the time is we don't want them to do well because oh, wouldn't that be like so fitting for Tom Brady? So we've been kind of reluctant to believe in them. Mm. When they got uh, taken apart by the Saints earlier on in the season, we were like, ah, oh, see, told you, told you. But they would have learned from that. When we were saying uh, cynically, uh, Bruce Arians and this Tom Brady relationship, that just can't work out. for it, It's not sustainable. Right. Arians is asking Brady to throw the deep ball. Well, guess what? They have had all those games to learn. There was no preseason. Let's not forget. So they are rolling now. Uh, mm. And and defensively, you're quite right to point out Jason Pierre-Paul, Devin White, you've got uh, Shaquille Barrett, um, 48 sacks there. They're a weapon. Indomica and Sue is, mm. is in that lineup as well. And offensively, Godwin, Mike Evans, I thought, oh no, he's hyperextended his knee. He's absolutely fine. And so mm. is Antonio Brown. They're a weapon. And with their run game with Leonard Fournette and yeah. Raul Jones, they're the complete package. And the fact that you've got Tom Brady, who knows the playoffs better than anybody else. I don't think it's we're sleeping on them. We just didn't want them to be as successful <laughs> as they potentially could be. I think the ground game could be key in this as well to to counter and uh, uh, deflect that pressure and pass rush from Washington. Just let Fournette and Jones grind them down. It really wouldn't yeah. surprise me if they if they leave with that. And uh, the deep ball is one of my favorite narratives of the season. All of the talking, Brady just doesn't have the deep ball anymore. And then you just see an absolute bomb getting Scotty Miller or whoever it is. And yeah. I'd, writing off Brady is, I mean, for God's sake, have you not learned this? <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. 
And also people talk about, oh, he's, his arm, it's not as strong as it was. It's not as accurate. Well, he's, he was thrown in Tampa. It was fine. Yeah. Conditions were perfect for, for Brady. And, and that mm. whole uh, argument about the, the deep ball and Arians and them not getting on, mm. people stri strive uh, with a bit of adversity. So we've actually, again, it's like the Patriots. We, we hated on them and they kept winning. When are we as fans going to learn? We should say the Bucks are going to do really well. They're going to go all the way. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and with Gronk as well in there as, as a weapon. Right. And Tom Brady's just got comfort blanket after comfort blanket yeah. uh, uh, around him. But the Redskins... I do apologize. The Washington football team have got a situation where they can't throw the ball that far with, with Alex Smith. It's mm. dink and dunk. It's, yeah. it's, it's not going to be enough to, to get from one end down to the other. If the bucks are able to run the football and, and, and run the clock down. I love, I, I love that. It's a great point. I think, I think this is going to be relatively straightforward for, for Tampa Bay. I love that other narrative as well he's got too many weapons tom brady what what does that mean he's got too many elite players around him of course yeah. um bears saints seems to be a, a, another mismatch and certainly uh, vegas agrees with that as well uh, the saints almost double digit favorites for this looks like alvin kamara will be back michael thomas we think but the saints have been fine for much of the season without thomas the saints and this is the book on the saints right that you can remove Thomas. You can take Drew Brees out of the mix. You can take your entire running back core out of the mix and they're still able to put up points. And when you balance that with the defense that they've got, which is really starting to get in motion right in time for, for the playoffs, formidable team going into the postseason and surely up against Trubisky and co not even a fair fight. No, uh, definitely not. And, and when you asked me the question earlier about the bills, um, have they as a team, when you come to the playoffs, had enough ups and downs in the season and learned from them? The Saints have definitely done that when they, they previously played the Bears earlier in the season. The defense wasn't quite where it is now. They've gone through the whole Drew Brees, um, Taysom Hill changing back and forth, not having any running backs. Ty Montgomery, yes, please. Yeah, if you just come on through. Uh, <laughs> I know you started as a wide receiver. Could you just play as running back now? It, it, it's They've been through every up and down this season, and mm. that's why they're, the, they're for me the sort of kind of dark horse that is really mm. coming into, into this uh, end-of-season games that you can't go against them. Drew Brees you know yes father time is against him but he's looked better as the season's gone on mm -hmm. kamara i mean wow what what a player uh, he is and and i just think that michael thomas doesn't even need to be fully fit but as long as he's on the on the field he, he's he's a worry and a concern for the bears and then you've got emmanuel sanders there to to, to be able to deliver as well mm. the saints are just uh, turning up the heat exactly when they need to and and i'd be concerned if i was a bears fan Something's just occurred to me, and, and this is probably, this is the point where our listeners are all in unison spitting out tea or coffee and saying, this has only just occurred to you, but you've got Rogers, Brady, Breeze, Roethlisberger, Alex Smith. They're all in the playoffs. Yeah. What's that? You know, I mean, it, you know, veteran central, right? Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's incredible. And, and, and on the stats, uh, looking at Philip Rivers, he's there, like the all-time uh, numbers he's put up. Same with Aaron Rodgers. They're there year after year. As much as we like, oh, I'm really excited about this player coming through the draft. And I think this guy's got it. It takes time to become uh, an elite quarterback if you're given the opportunities and you've got enough raw talent and you're able to deal with the adversities that come your way. 
they're, they're the ones that are going to keep coming back and they drive that team. There's something to be said about a quarterback being a leader. And if you've been there, done it before, new players coming through, look up to that quarterback. And mm. that's why the likes of Drew Brees is there. And Taysom Hill is learning off one of the best. So yeah, it, it's a real concern. And on the flip side of it, and you know, what do I do in the, in when regular season is over with my team no longer in it? I look at free agency. Nah, that's what yeah. I do. I look at where my team can go shopping. Um, and <laughs> when I look at the fact that Mitch Trubisky is going to be a free agent, um, <laughs> this, he is definitely in the shop window uh, for a team that, that needs a backup. Uh, so I feel How depressed like... would you be? Yeah, all this talk of the 49ers gutting for a new quarterback, all these names that are being associated, and then the big new signing that's unveiled is, is Mitch Trubisky. I have been uh, watching, being forced to, and also enjoying Bridgerton. Um, and uh, so I'm going to say the phrase, you wound me, sir, um, with that comment of Mitch Trubisky turning up at the Niners, uh, who the Bears traded with the Niners to get him in the draft, the, to move up one place. Uh, no, yeah. no, thank you. No, thank you. Even though the Niners are only going to have Jimmy Garoppolo on their books, it is the year for, for quarterbacks. No, Philip Rivers, uh, he's on a, a, a free agent next year. So is Jacoby yeah. Brissett. This is the final chance uh, for that Bears team to sort of I don't know see whether Trubisky can do it I think when you look at these two quarterbacks Drew Brees it's kind of like how do you feel <laughs> do you feel up to making that play do you feel confident with your body okay we'll, we'll trust you Mitch just 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 do what we say <laughs> <laughs> there's the difference and I'm trying not to be disrespectful but I'm being honest I'm just mm. saying yeah yeah sure their run game for the Bears could get them across the line um, and again, someone like Alan Robinson, another guy, a free yeah. agent at the end yeah. of the year, it's his time to, to, to shine. And will the bears defense maybe get a turnover? That's what could, mm. could turn this game on its head. Um, but yeah, it's Trubisky versus Breeze. Breeze has got this. I'm sorry. It's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. Cracking stuff, Tom. It's always brilliant to catch up with you. Uh, what's next for you? Uh, what are you up to at the moment? Well, I'm looking at the uh, free agent kickers at the moment. Nice. Um, <laughs> and a lot of teams, if there's a guy out there, uh, the, the Bears kicker, Santos, most accurate in the NFL this year. He's a free agent. Sign him up. Uh, no, uh, in, in, in all honesty, uh, it's, it's getting ready for um, F1 Esports again when that comes back. Virtual Grand Prix, that might happen. I don't want to give too much away. Uh, and it's, uh, it's waiting for live comedy to come back, Nat. So there you go. That is, that is me in a nutshell. It's always good to catch up with you, bud. Uh, Pleasure. Li listeners can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, Tom H. Deacon. Uh, yes. And on, on Instagram, just to mix it up a little bit, mm. on Tom Deacon comedy. There's not a lot of comedy. Mm. Uh, there's mainly presenting. Uh, but uh, look, get me in the trace description act. Sue me if you want. <laughs> Legendary stuff, bud. Good to catch up. See you soon. Take care now. Lovely stuff from Tom. He'll be back very soon. You can count on that. We will be back very soon as well. Check out the Edge Rush show with me and producer Ollie. That uh, is dropping Saturday morning, maybe even late Friday, uh, led to believe, of course, because you've got the Saturday game. So it might be dropping a little bit earlier this week. And then Jay Bell back on the show. Looking forward to catching up with him on Monday, reviewing all the action from what is undoubtedly going to be a compelling wildcard weekend. So make sure you're locked in for that final thing. Big shout out to all of you who have left a review on whichever platform you listen to us on. We massively appreciate that. Some really, really nice reviews cropping up. I've seen uh, a plenty on iTunes. So massive thanks for that. Wherever you're listening to us, even if uh, you got 30 seconds, drop a review. It helps us out, helps out ESPN, our sponsors 
Uh, and most importantly, puts a big smile on producer Ollie and producer Marley's face, which keeps us all very, very happy and in check. Appreciate that. Enjoy the wildcard weekend. Uh, don't forget Edge Rush, and we'll see you on Monday with Jay Balfour. Bye now. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.